what does God say about holiness, uh, I quickly found out that the Bible is filled front to back with holiness, with purity. Um, there's so much research. Nathan was giving me a ton of information, and um, yeah, him and Drew were putting things together, and it's just, there's a lot. So this is a big subject. Uh, I have like 30, 40 minutes. So this is a definitely something that you're going to hear, and this is something that you're going to go home and look up more. This is what, that's my desire. So uh, another reason I'm pretty happy to bring this is it's probably one of the most unpopular things being preached uh, in American Christianity is holiness. Uh, it's not very popular in places, um, mainly more pr prosperity. So I'm super happy to bring um, holiness to this message. So I have a question for you all. Can we, as Christians, be completely pure now? Can we be completely holy now? Or is this something that we have to wait till we get to heaven? So that's a, that's a question uh, that most of you all probably right now that I just asked that question, I already have a fixed answer. Yes, we can, or no, we're just human. So I want, I want you to have an open mind. We're going to dig into the scriptures and see what the Lord says, right? So our opening scripture is 1 John, if you have your Bible, 1 John 3, chapter 3, verse 9 through 10. I think the slide has more, but I'm going to read from verse 9 through 10 because that's what I have on my laptop. All right. Y'all ready? It's a big one. All right. He that commits sin is of the devil... For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this, the children of God are manifested, and the children of the devil. Whosoever does not righteousness is not of God, Neither he that loves not his brother. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that I thank you personally, Lord, that you've enabled me to bring this word. Lord, this is your heart. This is everything that you're about, Lord God. You are holy, God. And Lord, I just pray that you would open up our ears, open up our eyes, help us to see within your word, God, your heartbeat for this. Um, that is, this is out of your word, God. And Lord, I just pray that you would, you would use this word to glorify you. I pray, God, that many of us that are here would, would learn and be eager and eager to follow you more and more, God. God, we thank you. Everyone said, amen. amen. All right, so that's a big scripture. Uh, honestly, walking with the Lord my first year, two years, I quickly wanted to get over this scripture because I didn't understand it. He that commits sin is of the devil. It's so plain. I'm like, oh, I'm a human. I'm going to sin. God, I don't understand what this means. And so I've been studying, uh, as a small group, we've been going over first John, the letter of 1 John. And so uh, we're going to start there. Background, the background into this scripture. Why did John write it? This is such a, to me, this is one of the heavier texts in the scriptures because it just lays it out, right? If you're sinning, you're the devil. If you don't, then you're of God. And uh, yeah, so the background of this, we can look at First John chapter uh, first, first John chapter one. Um, 
And he says, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I write to you, that your joy may be full. This is the message that we have heard from the beginning and declare to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. So he's, that's how he starts off. And it's such a, when I read this, I'm like, this is the mission heart. This is the mission heart. That which I have heard, that's what I have seen, that's what I have handled, the word of life. I want to declare it to you, and I want to bring you into fellowship with us. And my fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And, I, and he's eagerly, he's writing this to Christians. He's writing this to believers. Um, and if you guys have never read the letter of First John, you can do it in 30 minutes because it's like three pages on any normal Bible. Anyways, uh, he writes this toward believers. And what is he doing in this letter is he's tackling misconceptions. If you analyze it and if you look it up, he's tackling misconceptions. Misconceptions are lies that we hold on to that instead of keeping us on the right path, like Jesus said, keep us, they, they, they make us go another way. They make us go a lie. And so he's wanting to bring, his, his letter, his intent is that you would be on the right path, that we would walk rightly with Jesus. So he tackles misconceptions, and he gives self-examination tests. And I think if you read it, you would see more than, I think there's about more than seven tests that he gives you, and we'll go into some of them. But the main reason he's writing this letter is that you would sin not. That is his desire, is that the reader would not sin. So in and out of Caiapha, I've seen men and women who have had a walk with Jesus. And some of them are blazing on fire, reading the Bible, preaching. And you see a little down the road that they threw it away. They're not walking with Jesus no more. Um, and it's a sad thing, you know. It's a really sad uh, it's the opposite of what Jeremiah said. You see someone saved. You see someone save someone else. But this is something that you see someone on fire, and then they're out. And it's, it's, it's a sad thing. So um, this is my heart desire of this word, is that we would be built up with a holy fire. And, um, and, not, and so there, there's this lie that we can hold on to, and it's a terrible misconception. And I'm going to break it down, because if you hear it first, you can be like, okay, Stephen, that Jesus loves me though I'm a sinner, and though I may mess up because he, I'm human, he still loves me. In one sense, that's true, right? In one sense, that's true. However, the way I'm saying it right now is the careless person that uses it as an excuse, that I can live a stupid, selfish life, a sinful life, my own way, but Jesus loves me no matter what. As if uh, Jesus loves the, the person and hates the sin, as if he's going to take your sin and deal with it and then hug you over here. And that's not biblical. If we look at it biblically, Psalm 7, it says that God is angry with the wicked every day. And so that, is a, that itself is a misconception. It's a lie so that you don't have to take responsibility for your sin. And so when we talk about holiness, we talk about purity and righteousness, it doesn't settle well with those type of people that use God's love as an excuse and they can live however they want because at the end, God's going to forgive me. And trust me, if you've been on Booth and you've engaged, you've heard that a billion times. So 
Um, again, before I get started, I want to just walk you. Some of you have heard my testimony, if you're in my small group, for sure. Uh, and some of you all haven't, so I'll just kind of crush it down. Um, my mom would take me to church. I used to love going to church as a kid, actually. Um, and I think I was like eight or nine, I gave my life to the Lord, going to the altar. And I think I felt the Holy Spirit. I don't know. And uh, I remember one time, maybe it was 10 or 11, I went to a church and the pastor was preaching that Pokemon was the devil because of psychic energy cards and all these different things. And I had Pokemon cards in my pocket. <laughs> and I swear, after service, I stood up and I tore them all in the front row. And there was this lady just looking at me. But I was like a little zealous kid for the Lord. And I would read, I mean, Revelation was probably my favorite book because it had dragons and all these different things. And I loved it. I loved reading the Word of God, right, as a kid. And then I also understood at an early age, maybe um, Jesus saves me. I understand that. But now can I live however I want? Like, you know, and just as a young teenager growing up, I was good. I was in basketball. And then I met my, one of my, some of my good friends, but I went down a dark path. I started going into smoking pot, drinking, um, all those things. And long story short, it, uh, I would look into the mirror when I was high as a kite. And I'd look into the mirror, and I'd see myself disappear. I'd, I'd see myself, who am I? Who am I? I always just started hearing the Lord, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. And I was using the excuse of, God, you love me even though I'm a sinner. God, you love me though I'm a sinner. And I always knew Jesus was Lord, but he really wasn't Lord of my life. And so it wasn't until I got a sense of the majesty of God, until I knew what it took, that sin became sinful. It was not until I saw God and his majesty and realized that through the scriptures that I saw the awfulness of my sin, that I was depraved and I was wrong. And so I just want to go in, what is sin? There's a Charles Finney quote um, I've been reading, and... And he says, sin is the most expensive thing in the universe. Nothing else can cost so much. Pardoned or unpardoned, forgiven or not forgiven, its cost is infinitely great. Pardoned, it, it, the cost falls chiefly on the great atoning substitute, Jesus. Unpardoned, it falls on the head of the guilty sinner. <laughs> so sin is the most expensive thing. He starts off his book that way. And I always love that. And it's, it's one of the great things. So... I'm going to my first point. I'm here to tell you all that purity, holiness, is possible. It's possible. And so I want you all to have an open mind. If you all are concrete and know it's not, if you all are, know it's not not till heaven, or I want you to have an open mind. So let's tackle some misconceptions. So Satan's lie, I, I like to always, when I'm talking about sin, I like to always look at the beginning in Genesis. Why? Because the devil is a liar from the beginning, Jesus said. And his lie, his, his uh, structure stays the same. He's brilliant at what he does. It's tricking the whole world continuously throughout the ages. But his structure is always the same. He always takes God's word and twists it just a little bit. He always takes God's word and undermines it, just as he did to Eve. Did God really say you'll die? Did God really say? And so today, even right now, even to some of us right now today, he's saying, does God really say you can be pure? Aren't you human? Aren't you going to sin? You can't be perfect just yet. Holding on to sin and justifying it 
in this life will keep you from the blessing of purity. And I really hope, I really hope we have an open mind. Not till heaven, uh, I want to tackle that. I'm not talking about glorified body. I know the Bible talks about you will one day have a glorified body. I don't even understand what that would look like with the, the finite man putting infinite on. You know, that's something else entirely. I'm talking about the holiness that God desires for us today, that he expects from every single one of us, wherever you're at in your, in your life, whether you're a brand, norm, uh, brand born, born again uh, Christian, or you've been walking with the Lord 70 years. Well, none of us are here with that. But even then, you know, um, it's a line-by-line line progression. Winky says it's a line-by-line line progression. And the way I've always taught my small group is, Guys, you're not married yet. So when you're, you have this much knowledge, and then you get to marriage, or you get to some other aspect of life, then you have more responsibility and more growth. And then you have kids, and then you have more growth, more responsibility, more learning. And so holiness and responsibility is a progression throughout life. And so Philippians 2, um, oh, I'm sorry, the idea that and if we think that we can't be holy not till heaven, that shows us that we think that death is able to do something for us that the living Savior could not do. If we think that it takes to die in order to be holy in a glorified body, to be holy, then we're saying that death, needs, that death is more powerful than, than Christ living in me. And so I quickly want to get that out of your heads today and my head. And so uh, Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among those whom you shine as lights in the world. Do you see how it's, the Bible points to purity as possible now today? Because it's not saying that you be children of God without fault in heaven. No, it says that you may be children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation that you would shine as lights in the world. So going back to John, 1 John, he has three tests. There's more tests, like I said, but right in the beginning, he gives us three tests. And like I said, he's tackling misconceptions here. And look at how it's written. If we say, right, if we believe, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This literally sounds just like I said, um, that we can love Jesus, uh, that, that God loves me even though I'm a sinner. He's tackling that, this very, very first point. And this was written way before, guys. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Do you not, do we, we have to understand this, that Jesus was crucified for the very reason that he says that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, at least his deeds should be reproved. But he that does truth comes to the light, and his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. And John is just taking what Jesus said, and he's sharing it again. Because I've seen it, I've heard it, and I want to declare it to you. Right? That's his heart behind it. And so let's look at the answers. He's tackling misconceptions, but he's giving, if you think this way, I need you to think this way. And so I want to do that today. He says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Not some sin, all sin. 
And another one, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. You see that it's not just a forgiving of sin. It's a, also a cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And I was watching a Leonard Ravenhill. If you guys want to watch it too, it's called Pure Heart, Pure Church by Leonard Ravenhill, YouTube. But he, I liked what he said. He said, cleanse in the English language doesn't do justification because it literally means to unsend me. Unsend me, God. Cleanse me. Take it away. Take the power out of me that I will not sin anymore. Cleanse me. And I want to tell you something. The only sin that cannot be forgiven, other than blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is one that is not confessed. If you hold on to it, God can't forgive you. God can't um, work that. And he can't cleanse that unless you confess it. And that's what it takes. And it, he is faithful and just to do it. So if, you are, if you're here and you're saying, God can never forgive me, um, you need to trust in his faithfulness and see that he can do it. So how is purity possible? Uh, I love the Bible because it gives many representations, many representations of how it's done. And so the example of silver, does it have it here? The example of silver is to take away the dross. Take away the dross. Proverbs 25, 4 says, Take away the dross from silver, and there shall come forth a vessel for the finer. And so what, is, what does that mean? What does that mean? If, um, there's impurities in silver when you mine it. And so whenever you, if you want to have it valuable, if you want to be able to use it, you need to take those impurities out, and that's only through the fire. And then the, the finer, the, the man who is dealing with that silver, he can now shape it into a ring, a necklace, uh, something of value. But you can't do that with the silver. And so how is purity possible? It's by taking those impurities out in the fire. So Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Uh, guys, I do have a ton of scripture because um, I'd rather let the Lord speak than me. Right? Uh, Malachi 3, 1 through 3 says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. It's talking about John the Baptist. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? But who can stand when he appears? Right? Everyone thinks that Jesus is buddy-buddy, right? <laughs> this is says, who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. That's amazing. It says that, uh, so righteousness is the fruit of holiness, Jesus said, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, neither can a bad tree bear good fruit. If you see someone in the world, uh, I mean, it's, it's clear as this. A sinner can do good works, but the intent of the heart, the deed, is it done in righteousness or in unrighteousness? And God sees that true heart. And so righteousness, good, a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. You may look and might have the appearance, but... To God, that's, that's what's uh, shown, right? So holiness, when we're talking about holiness, I'm talking about your being, who you are, that you are now made holy. And righteousness describes your doing. So holiness is being, righteousness is doing. Um, so, and so let's keep going. Uh, how is purity possible? Through trials and afflictions. It's the same thing that 
the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that perishes through its tested by fire may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials and affl- when we go through trials and afflictions, God says that I love to take my saints through these trials because it is there when he refines you. And most of the time we're like, God, take me out. Take me out now. Take me out now. And we start, guys, pray for me. Pray for me. I'm going through this trial. And sometimes the Lord just wants you to put the fire on you so that he can start burning impurities. Oh, you wanted patience? Oh, I'm going to give you patience, but it's going to take a while. Oh, you, you, you know, you want to get rid of your anger? I'm going to send someone your way that's going to piss you off daily. And, and it takes submission, right? Pretty, purity is done by forgiveness. Jesus simply said, Jesus said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you, but if you don't forgive men, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. And it is also done by the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord, I can, that's his own thing. But if you look into the Bible, you study the, the word, the fear of the Lord, you'll find many things. Uh, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So fear, the, the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance. Those things I hate, says the Lord. And so when we stop looking at Christianity as what God has done for us, and we start looking at what can I do for God, what can I do for him, that's when everything changes. That's when the, 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 the coin flips, right? That you, you now want to love him, you revere him, so you don't want to sin. You don't want to hurt the Father's heart, right? You love is sincere, therefore you hate sin, you hate sin. You hate what hurts the Father's heart and that which pierces the Savior's side as they pierced him. As they hammer down his hands and feet, you know that you and me are responsible for his crucifixion, right? He died personally for my sin, your sin, right? And when you fear the Lord, you don't want to hurt him. And when you fear the Lord, you're absolutely in terror. It really means terror because you can get out of the fellowship of God. That's a scary thing. It says in the Bible that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's loving, but you need to know the terror of the Lord because the terror of the Lord keeps us away from sin. It keeps us away. If we can sin and it doesn't bother you, that is a bad place to be. We need to fall. We need to ask the Lord, give me a fresh anointing of the fear of the Lord. Lord, let me fear you, right? 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Holiness is perfected through the fear of the Lord. When you fear the Lord, you hate evil. When you fear the Lord, you love him. When you fear the Lord, you don't want to get out of fellowship. When I was a little boy, I loved playing with the cigarette lighter. Those old, older cars, they had the actual coils. I would push it in, it would pop out and be glowing orange like your shirt. Right? It'd be gl- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it'd be really glowing, really orange. And I would like put like little twigs in it. I was five. It would be, uh, you know, I put twigs. Nothing happened. The twigs didn't scream. So as a five-year-old little boy, I put my finger in there while my mom was driving. And oh my God, I screamed, pull over, pull over, get me some ice. And then she did it. She did it. it was the longest five minute drive to our house in the world. And, you know, they took care of me then. But guys, did I touch that again? No, 
No, it was a healthy fear because it kept me from doing that again. I never did it again, and I would never advise anyone to do that. So, guys, yeah, purity is done through the fear of the Lord. And so uh, I want to go to my, to my next point. Purity is not only possible, it is God's blessing, the blessing of God. Um, Psalm 32 Psalm 32. Guys, I know I'm going really fast with scripture. It's because I have a lot of them. So if you have notes, you can just write them down. But um, Psalm 32, uh, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, in whom spirit there is no deceit. So when it says impute iniquity, what does that mean, right? It means reckon. It means count. That, that God would not count all the charges against you. He would, he would cover it and remove it far from him. That is a blessed man, the Bible says. That if, you are, if, you are, if your sins are covered, if your sins are not uh, counted by the Lord, that is the biggest blessing that can be given to man. That God would overlook it. Right? He says, as far as the east is from the rest, I was, uh, west, I will separate your sin from me. It's, a, it's an amazing thing that we can forgive, and sometimes we can't forget, but God will literally, in his infinite mind, though he, I think he knows everything, he can say, I don't know it because I forgot it, because I forgave it, because it's done with. I don't even bring it up. I can't even do it. It's like he's the only one able to forget, forget, and he won't even remember it. It won't ever come up before him. That is a big blessing. He has come to seek and save the lost. Jesus, we're talking about Jesus here, right? He's come to seek and save the lost. That's what he said. And when, the, when, when Mary was born, uh, was, uh, the, whole, the angel came and she said, you were, he said, you were to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. Who, who are his people? Who are his people? The Israelites? If you look at the tone of Jesus, he said, everyone. 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 The door is open. Right? He says, if you come, if anyone comes after me. Right? His words are anyone. His words are anyone. And he's come to save and seek the lost. So let's get into that. How does he do it? He does it through the blood. The blood has cleansed. We read that a little earlier, right? He, the blood has cleansed us. He has said that this is my blood of the new covenant. He's a messenger of the new covenant. We read in Malachi. This is my blood of the new covenant, which was shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, one of my favorite verses, especially in Booth, because it just portrays the gospel in its entirety, I feel like, is Romans chapter 5. So if you've never read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5 is uh, a big thing for me when I'm presenting the gospel to anyone. Uh, it says, for scarce, uh, this is Romans chapter 5, verse 7 through 11, if you have your Bible. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, right? How, how many of you are going to die for a, a good man? That's a hard thing to do, right? Um, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still his enemies, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. Not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That God, the, the, that 
God in the beginning when he created Adam and he created the garden and he created it all perfect and he wanted to walk with Adam in the cool of the evening, that now we are reconciled to that, that now we were restored to that, that though we were his enemies, he's like, he laid down his life, that for us it's hard to die for a righteous man, but he showed his love toward us that while we were his enemies, he did it, he laid it down. Right? And he's, I want to bring you back to the family of God. I want to bring you back. This is, this is called reconciliation. It speaks, uh, his blood speaks better things than the blood of Abel. So if you've never even read the Bible before, Abel was the first murdered person. It was Adam and Eve's first son. And, they're, and they're, uh, he brought a, right, uh, a sacrifice of righteousness, and God delighted in it. And then his son Cain brought a, a, a sacrifice that was not worthy, and, and he got jealous. And and God said, beware, sin is knocking at your door, and it's going to have dominion over you if you do what you want to do, because I know what you want to do. And what did he do? He killed Abel. The blood was spilled, and God comes to Abel, uh, to Cain, and he says, the blood of Abel, your brother, speaks. And I don't know what it says. I don't know what it says. I don't know if it says speaks vengeance. God, what happened? You know, where, where am I? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but the blood of Jesus, the Je- that Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, through the sprinkling of, uh, of the blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is a blood that has been spilled and cries out, mercy, have mercy, forgive them. I died for them. They have put their trust in me, and I, have, I, have, I am now their advocate. And um, that is, a, it, it speaks better things than the blood of Abel, the Bible says. Um, yeah, the resurrection. Without the re- Do you not understand that without the resurrection, that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he rose from the dead. Do you not know that without the resurrection, we are still in sin? I'm a false prophet. None of this is useless. The Bible is a liar. Everything is, for the past 2,000 years is just a straight-up lie without the resurrection. Uh, and Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. He said, now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you who say there is no resurrection from the dead? So there's people preaching that he died, but there's, that he didn't resurrect. And Jews were, you know, to this day still believe that lie, um, that there was no resurrection. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he did raise up Jesus, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead do not rise up. And so this is Paul's argument. He's saying, our, my faith, my preaching, everything I stand on rests on this, the hinge of, of Christianity rests in this, that Jesus not only died, but he rose, defeating death, right? And so in Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not, right? Oh, Jesus loves me, right? Should we sin that grace, God's grace? Oh, yeah, God's grace, he's graceful. But should we sin? No. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Therefore, if we've been buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life, a new life, right? And so if you've been baptized, right, if you've been baptized, that is the baptism. And if any of you have not been baptized, you could go up to your small group leader and if this is your decision. But... Um, 
Baptism is a signifying of death that you're going, when you go under the water, is a signifying that I am dead. And when I rise up, I've risen up. And it's not me who lives, but Christ in me, right? Paul said, it is not me who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live, uh, I live according to the, to the glory of the Son of God. And then we have the Holy Spirit. How much more is that, right? The Holy Spirit himself lives in us. Uh, Jesus said, in that day you know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The world does not see or understand it, but he lives in you, and you know him because he dwells in you. This is the spirit of truth. This is the comforter. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, the triune God, that God would dwell within my heart. God would dwell in us and, and, and complete us, and he would complete us. And um, before I move on, do you, not, you guys need to understand this. These four things, the blood, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, um, and even Christ's birth, the fact that there's no other religion like this, that God, that God would leave his throne and be born as a baby, that, God would, uh, that this God would spill his blood for the cleansing of sin. Who else does that? Allah? No. Um, the resurrection, that, a God, that he would be resurrected and defeat death, and that a God who dwells in man. There's no other thing out there that God would dwell in man, Right? This is the foundation of our faith. And we are looking for a full, complete salvation. A full, complete salvation is we are saved from the power, the penalty, and the practice of sin. Right? Not only the power, not just the penalty, not that uh, God's not going to punish me, but of the practice of sin. That we don't have to sin any longer. As Jesus said, go and sin no more. We can actually go and sin no more. Right? Um, and I love this, uh, I love this uh, story found in Matthew 9. Um, the lame man. Uh, what happened here? There was a crowd surrounding the house. There was a need of a man who could not walk. I don't know if it was from, from birth, but he could not walk. And he had family that tried to get him in, but they couldn't. So what did they do? They went on top of the roof. They, they broke open someone's house. <laughs> Sorry. They broke someone's house and they let him down. What does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Son, your sins are forgiven. And you know what? There's a, in the corner, you got an old Pharisee guy over here saying, blasphemy. Blasphemy. How can, only God can forgive sins. But I love what Jesus said. I love what Jesus said. What is, easy, uh, what is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to stand up and walk, right? What is easier to say? I think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because you don't see the transaction. Oh, say your sins are forgiven, bro. Your sins are forgiven. You don't, no one sees the action. No one sees the transaction, right? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin, I say stand up and walk. And, and he walked, right? Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and, and that, to me, signifies that not only does he have the ability to take out our sin, he has the ability to give us the ability to walk in a new life. Take up your mat and walk. Yeah, and everyone said hallelujah. <laughs> everyone glorified God. 
Yeah, Leonard Ravenhill said, uh, a man who just wants his sins forgiven is trifling with religion. He's toying around. The, the cross is not a dump site. And many people consider the cross as a big dump site where all my sins are just poured out and then I can just live my life. Right? No, it's an exchange rate. It's an exchange. It's a conversion. It's a conversion that I will, my, my sins are paid by the blood that was spilled. Yes, but now I take up that cross and I follow him. Right? I follow after him. And I follow hard after him. Right? Um, holy life is reasonable, ordinary, characteristic of the Christian life. And I want us to get this. The holy life is reasonable, ordinary, characteristic of a Christian life. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beseech you, I beseech you therefore, brethren, my brothers, sisters, all you here, by the mercies of God, that you may present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. It's base. <laughs> it's reasonable. It's the normal thing. Live a holy life, right? If you're a Christian and if you want to serve the Lord, this is where it starts. Um, I don't have this on my notes, but I was talking to my friend the other day, Jeremiah, and uh, he just brought up a point. Some people think a holy life I'm talking about is a life of no fun. <laughs> and I just want to address that really quick because it's not in my notes. But it does not mean that. It, it, it's, it's, uh, I forgot how you said it, man, because you said it so wonderful the other day. But it's like you're saving yourself for the, for the real, the reality. And when we get to be with Jesus face to face, none of the things that we have that we're pleasing are, are going to be anything. We're saving ourselves just like a bride saves herself for her husband, just as a husband saves herself, and it's a pure thing, and it's, a, and it's an honorable thing. And so, um, yeah, the only thing that's going to uh, stop us from attaining this blessing is justifying sin. When we look at our sin, we say, well, I'm only human, and oh, I can't stop this. That stops the fact that you will ever be forgiven. Like I said, it's not a confessed sin. It's a justified sin. So you'll hold on to it, and it'll be a part of you, and you'll gain control, and it'll, and it'll take you down that spiral for the rest of your life. Unless you confess and stop justifying, then you'll never achieve the blessing of purity. And lastly, I want to go into is purity is with a purpose. So yes, we want to be holy. We want to be right with God, right? Well, I hope you all want to be right with God. I want to be right with God. But it's with a purpose. It's missions-based. We are co-workers with Christ, ambassadors of Christ. The Bible says that we're co-workers, we're co-heirs. The same inherency that Jesus has, I have. I don't even understand it, but the Bible says it. I'll, I'll find out one day, and I hope you all will too. But ambassadors of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. It's actually Chi Alpha's... Um, um, scripture on our website so this is what we stand for now all things are of god who has reconciled us to himself through jesus christ right we talked about that that god that, uh, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation that this is that god was in christ reconciling the world to himself that jesus is god and he reconciled the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, we read that, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were pleading through us, through me. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this is 
Yeah, this is kind of everything that we do, right? Uh, this is Kayafa is not a, a social club. I hope you don't look at it that way. It's not a just a little Christian club that's uh, located on a college campus. We are in the ministry of reconciliation because what Christ has done in me, he wants to do through me. He wants to do through you, right? We're in the ministry of reconciling people, right? We're in the ministry of doing it. In Acts 26, 18, it says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we are called to save and seek the lost. Did Jesus say that, right? I think that's, I think he said something like that, right? He mentioned it somewhere. To save and seek the lost. Uh, he said to teach others to obey. He said if you want to be least in the kingdom of God, you know what you got to do? you got to show them how to break the law. But you want, you want to be great in the kingdom? You got to show others how to obey the law, right? That's what small group's about. Uh, to teach others to make disciples, right? We want to be a disciple. Make, I want to I make a disciple that's going to make a disciple that's going to make a disciple that's going to be a continuous process. That's how we're all here today. Someone got discipled by someone and led us to Christ, whoever they are, right? Whether it was parents, grandma, uh, friend, a guy from, from uh, Edinburgh that met a guy from Abilene the first day, right? And, and yeah, and we're also to teach others that they may be holy, what I'm doing with you all, that we may be brought up, right? Um, so we got a, an old dead guy, Van Parker. <laughs> yeah, it was tragic. With great power comes great responsibility, a very wise man. I think with great purity comes great responsibility, right? <laughs> yeah, we're missions-based. Uh, on, on to the actual real, the real one. <laughs> uh, how many of y'all know who this is? William Booth. He's the founder of the Foundation Army, not the, not the thrift store. Uh, they, were, um, they, were, they went out and saved. They went out as an army. They're a literal army, and they went out. And so I, I would like to read this quote, and uh, yeah. Not called, did you say? So how many of you all feel, oh, I can't do that, Stephen? Not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible. Hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burden, agonizing heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face, whom, whose mercy you have professed to obey, and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy to the world. So the question the question today is not, can you be holy, pure, but will you? Are you willing? Do you want to be? I think I did a semi, hopefully a good job of showing that the purity is possible, that purity is God's blessing, but it's up to you and me. Do we want this? Because you, you don't have to. There's either, you can either be impure or you can be pure. It is only, um, that is biblical. That is the Bible. That is Jesus. 
light or darkness? Are you going to live in the light? Are you going to come to the light? Or are you going to stay in darkness and hate when the light is exposed? Do you want to be pure? I want you all to ask yourself that question and be honest with yourself. Purity, purity comes. You want to know when purity comes? Purity comes when we see, when we hate, and forsake our sin because we know that it actually took the death of Jesus. And so if you want to be pure, that's what you got to do. you got to see it for what it is. It's an offense. It's, an, it's a blotch. It's a stain. you got a nice shirt. You have a stain on it. You don't want to wear it anymore. It's that terrible stain. You must hate it for what it has done. That when you look to Jesus on the cross, when you look at that horridness of he was just a piece of flesh, bones sticking out, crowned with thorns, mocked, beard pulled out. You did that. I did that. Um, and we must forsake it. Whenever it comes close, when sin comes at the door and temptation comes, that doesn't mean you're not pure. Jesus was tempted. It was without sin. He forsook it, right? Um, Nathan showed me an awesome video, a Bible project. If any of you all see Bible project, they put a new video out. It's called The Test, right? The Test. And, and, it, and it just goes throughout the history of the Bible of you have uh, that God pulls the, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. There's always a test. And in our world, there's always a test to choose God or forsake. And so, guys, I, I want to admonish you all and myself that when, when temptation comes, when sin comes, when sin is knocking at the door, just like it knocked at Cain's door, and, and God said, it is knocking at your door. And if you let it have you, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to eat you up. It's going to become you. You must see it. You must hate it and forsake it. 